evening. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we'll read the passage in a second, but I just want to give a brief introduction. And I want to give a brief plug. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have the passage printed here in the worship folder for you. So you don't have to bring one, but just as a little advertisement, if you do have one or if you have an app on your phone, what it does is it allows us to read a little bit more broadly and kind of look at all the verses around the passage that we're looking at to help us understand it a little bit better. And that's going to be important for this passage that we look at this evening. If I don't know if many of you were here last time we looked at um, the verses before this. This is going to be the second of a two-part message of instruction to Timothy, who is in a situation where he, being Paul's companion and a leader of a church, he has been tasked with oversight and leadership of a particular church in Ephesus. But there are other groups who are preaching different forms of the gospel that are rivaling with the gospel that Timothy is preaching. I've been using you know, the language of competing messages. So Timothy is in a context here of competing messages. Last time we looked more at which message Timothy was to align with, and these are going to be more practical instruction as to what Timothy is supposed to do and how he's supposed to handle himself in this situation. And I want to point out, before I read this, and read a couple verses and remind us back at the beginning of chapter 2 that I think sets all this up. In verses 8 through 10, he says this. Paul says this to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what he's saying there is because Jesus is risen from the dead, means the word of God, his plan of redemption in the world is not bound, just as Jesus wasn't bound by the grave. And because of that, Paul is able to endure everything that everybody else may obtain salvation in him. And so the instruction that we're about to read, I think, is all an application of that in Timothy's specific context. Okay? So let's read these verses together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So... Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you've ever experienced a time where you felt silenced and that you didn't have a voice because of all of the competing voices that were around you. 
as I was reflecting on this passage, um, it's kind of a silly example, but it, I remember at a time in college, I used to like to play Ultimate Frisbee. And so there was a little group of us that we would play Ultimate Frisbee on you know, like Saturdays and Sunday afternoons and Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, class, no class, whatever. And it was fun. And I'm not a great Frisbee player, but in that small little group, then I had a community where I felt like I had influence. Like people would look to me, they would look to me to make plays, and I had a say in the way we were going to play the game and the strategies that we would take. However, after a little while, a couple of other people joined on and they said, hey, let's turn this not into just kind of a pickup game, but we're going to actually make a club and we're going to make a team, and we're going to go and travel and play tournaments and whatever, which sounded great. However, as there are new parties that were entered into the scene, there were also new voices on how the game should be played and who was going to be in charge of the situation. And so little by little, all of the different opinions on what we were going to do, what strategy we were going to use, the noise of all those opinions kept going louder and louder and louder and louder. And I stopped and I realized, it's like, first, we are not winning. We are being pulled apart and none of us can agree on anything. And secondly, I have no voice left in this situation at all. Like the influence I felt I used to have in pulling in a positive direction because of the competing noise all around me I felt was waning, so that I didn't have a place anymore. This is kind of a silly, insignificant illustration. I mean, it's just Frisbee, but these types of situations, I think, face us all the time, almost every day, where we have values that we really believe in and commit to. However, when there are other voices, kind of like crosswinds going on all around us, they can make us feel like the noise actually drowns us out and that we don't have a voice anymore and that we are silenced. And so this is kind of a situation that Timothy is in, why um, I'm setting this up this way, is that Timothy was in charge of this church and yet he's surrounded by such competing voices that are threatening to pull the ship apart, to pull people in different directions. And you can see, if we put ourselves in Timothy's shoes, that feeling that, you know, my influence here my ability to be useful in any way is just fizzling out in the middle of it all. Um, so I, I think this is something that many of us can relate to in a lot of ways, and so I think this, is, this has been an encouraging passage even for me to study this week. Um, and so here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to proceed when we look at these verses. There are three things. First, we're going to look at the silence of noise. Second, we're going to look at the usefulness of suffering. Not the word you wanted to hear in a main point. Um, The usefulness of suffering. Third, we're going to look at the power of the resurrection. So that's where we're going to go. Let's jump in and look at the silence of noise. Paul starts this out. uh, He gives us this metaphor of a house, a great house, which is a metaphor for God's, God's kingdom. Um, and his agenda on earth. We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail when we get to the next point. But what it sets this whole context up is it's telling Timothy how to be useful. Like you want to be useful in the middle of this situation. This is how you be useful. Okay? And then he goes on 
And in the way that Paul often does is he kind of gives a comparison. He lists these things. He says, don't do this and do this instead. So first of all, the things he says don't do are two things. He says, flee youthful passions. And then later on, he says, to have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. And he doesn't give a lot more detail other than that. I mean, we can... You imagine, if you think of um, youthful passions, then something like maybe sexual immorality might come to your mind or uh, pursuing idealistic dreams or being hot-headed or something like that. But we can see, because of the way Paul is setting this up, it has something to do with these quarrels and these controversies and how um, it's easy to conduct oneself in the middle of these um, arguments. But it's similar true with these controversies. We're not really told exactly what, what these are. And there's been a lot of theories by scholars of what this has to do about. But what I want us to focus on is not so much the nature of these two things, he says, to avoid, but the position that Timothy is in now. You have these quarrels and arguments, which quarrels, they're not really the type of conversation that's going anywhere. They're usually the kind of thing, this one voice yelling at another, trying to be the loudest, vying for um, supremacy. And so he is going to have the temptation in order to give in and join these quarrels. And why would that be? I think we think about it, as Timothy is in a position of leadership, and he has these voices going on around him um, that are competing with his position of influence, that the louder these other voices speak then the louder that Timothy has to speak in order to join, in order to maintain his influence. So when he's looking out and he's seeing, he's seeing a threat by this, that these other competing voices are threatening to pull this ship apart and that he no longer has a place. And so that the usefulness here of the message that he has been preaching would be fading away and be under threat. However... I think that the big issue here from a human standpoint is more than just usefulness and is more than just quarreling. I think if we can put ourselves in the, in the kind of situation that Timothy is in, if you have been in this kind of situation where you feel that your, your own voice is being drowned out by other voices, it says something much deeper. And that is that in this place, I no longer matter. Like I'm not really here. Like the values that I have, they're irrelevant. You know, this is that I, you know, I don't, I don't matter. I can't be useful. You know, I'm just kind of here, and the world is going on around me. I think that's something that hits at the very core of who we are as human beings. Like we want to matter. Nobody wants to be silenced, and nobody wants to be invisible. So, what's Timothy left to do? We think about it. If you feel like you're being drowned out by loud noise around you, then what is the most obvious solution that we're going to likely jump to? If you're too quiet, what we need is more volume. We need to speak louder to press the point home even further in order to keep our, that influence from fading away or to matter. Or power, like if you feel powerless in the middle of this situation, what is the obvious solution that's going to solve this problem? That I need more power, right? To compensate this. But what this has, I think we all know, 
intuitively and by experience. Have you ever been to a party that just kept getting louder and louder and louder until you can't hear or speak anymore and you're like, all right, I got to get out of here? You know, because people talk and there's more and more people in the room and the noise level goes up and you try to speak up so your friends can hear you, but then it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. And eventually, with this kind of competition of noise, then just raising the level, all it does is serve to drown out all the voices. And it's actually not really that useful anymore. You know, in one way, this is kind of, we can understand this, that Timothy is in this position, but we also need to ask ourselves, you know, we aren't really teachers. You know, most of us, we're not, you know, over a church like this that Timothy is in. How does this, you know, relate to us? I think this relates to us in all kinds of ways. Uh, Recently, when, you know, I just recently went through the process to be ordained in, in this presbytery, Presbytery is just the local group of churches um, and all the pastors and um, elders there that serve to give oversight and direction to all the churches in our area. And I had to go before them and um, be examined on a lot of things. One of the neat things I found about this presbytery that you can be encouraged about is after one of the meetings in a small committee, a lot of exams, a lot of heady, you know, theological kind of stuff, and then two guys kind of pulled me to the side in a private room, and there was another questionnaire just like, how are you doing in your life? Like, how is your family? How is your marriage? How are you doing as a person? And it was, it was a different kind of um, set of questions and examination, just making sure that you're doing okay. But one of the things one of the guys said, we were talking about family, that really struck me is he said, you know why parents tend to yell at their children? I don't know why he would want to bring that up. Um, he says, because when the children don't listen and they don't obey, as a parent, what you really, you end up feeling invisible. Like, your influence on this situation is just not there. It's almost like you don't even exist. You know, I'm saying these words and nothing is happening. You know, I don't, I obviously don't matter here at all. And so the obvious solution is what we need to do. We need to raise our voice to make sure that we matter and to make sure our place and significance in family uh, is doesn't fade away as upheld. I think this can be big ways. Even in like a political climate like we're in right now, a lot of us have you know values and, and commitments. And when it seems like with the number of competing voices going on right now, it is very easy to feel like the things that we value are just drowned out by all the noise. That we're in, that we don't have a voice. I think this can happen culturally. You might have certain, you know, values of the way that life should be, the way family should be, um, the way, you know, culture should be. But when there's a slew of competing values, then you, you can easy to feel like, you know, with the things that I believe in, I'm really committed to, I, I just really don't matter here. Like, I don't have a voice. In the middle of all the noise, I'm left at a place of silence. And this can happen in, even in um, our relationships. Like maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you say, your spouse, we can't agree on where, what we want out of this relationship and what our relationship should look like. And the more that you tussle it out, the more, the less influence you feel that you have on your marriage. And it feels like you're being pulled apart more than you're being pushed together. 
So I think this kind of situation, even though we're in a different place in Timothy, is very relevant to the things that we face every day. But what are we left to do? So what Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, don't do this. Saying, don't join them, don't go toe-to-toe, don't solve the problem by trying to outdo these other voices and play their own game. So what is his solution? And it's something that we might not want to hear. Um, And the second point is that we're going to look now at the usefulness of suffering and how suffering is actually a curious way that Paul calls on Timothy um, to be useful in the middle of his situation. Let's look at um, this metaphor of the great house. Um, And as he said before, that this is an example of how to be useful in God's house. And what does he say? Um, He lists up these goals, these um, different vessels of gold and silver, and some for honorable use, dishonorable use, and says that if anyone wants to be for honorable use, that's useful, what you have to do is cleanse yourself. Right? You've heard of hashtag treat yourself. This is hashtag cleanse yourself. Okay? But I don't want to assume that everybody in here is a Christian or that you're familiar with Christian language. But if you are, if you've been familiar with biblical terms for a while, what this can sound like is, okay, so Paul, what you're saying is that if I want to be useful, what I have to do is get rid of all these tendencies, like bad tendencies I have in my life and kind of get myself together. And when I do that, then God will be able to use me. Then I'll be in a good position that God can do something with my life and I'm really going to matter. That's not exactly what Paul is saying when he's using this metaphor. There's a couple things I want to point out about this. First, in this language when he says to cleanse yourself, he's he's pulling on priestly language from the Old Testament that Timothy would have been familiar with. If you're familiar with what the priestly washings did in the Old Testament, it was that it was a particular grace that God gave his people. It was a particular religious ritual of washing so that people and um, vessels, anything, could be set apart as holy and that is able to be in the presence of God. So, I mean, you could use soap and water and you could scrub, 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 scrub all of the bacteria off of yourself or any vessel, and it's not going to make you any more holy or able to be in God's presence. What you need is to receive the means of grace that God has given to make this happen, which in that time were these washings that you would wash and that you would be designated holy. In the New Testament now, after Christ, it's a little bit different, but it's the same principle. And that to cleanse yourself means simply to receive the grace that Christ has given. And that would be by turning to him in repentance and faith. Okay, so he's not saying to get yourself right on your own squeaky clean so that you can be used. He's saying to receive the grace of God in repentance and faith. But there is an element in in this that we have to recognize. And that Paul is, when he's saying cleanse yourself, if we look at it in context, then he's not giving a full-blown theology of um, grace and works here. In a lot of ways, this is very practical instructions. And he's saying that, you know what, you want to be useful? Then here's some stuff that do not help. Like getting involved in these controversies 
all they serve is to further, you know, raise the noise and pull this apart. But what you, if you want to help, then here are some attributes of what it looks like that are actually helpful um, in your situation. And so let's look at this. He lists here a lot of things. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, community. It's along with those that call on the Lord for a pure heart. Um, and they have to be kind, able to teach, patient, patiently enduring evil, gentle, even in correcting, and leaving the work to God to be able to work. So there's a lot of things here that we could list that we could have to check off. But what, what I want to say is that the significant thing about Paul is what Paul is teaching is really about one thing here. I mean, these are general characteristics of the Christian life that following Christ that we are called to apply in any given context. It looks like these things. It's characterized by these things that we have to work out. But if we remember where Timothy is in the situation that Paul is giving him this command, that what he's telling Timothy is, these voices are going to come at you, but what really is useful is suffering. By not reacting against them and quarreling and not giving up. It is to stay the course, to continue to speak and teach the same gospel. To continue to show people love, even when they are your opponents. To continue to pursue peace. To continue to benefit the community rather than name a name for yourself. Do you see how this works? It's like these are very selfless characteristics that Paul is telling Timothy to do. And so this is, this is the hard part about the Christian life. That is, that is a very core of the gospel message, is that suffering is actually a way that God works and that is useful in His kingdom. And I want to give the disclaimer. What we are not talking about is tragedy here. And we are not talking about you know, abuse or anything like that. This is the kind of suffering that comes from loving others that don't love you back when there's a cost. If you want to be useful... The usefulness is in the suffering and staying the course. Does that sound like good news? I mean, is that, you're like, yeah, Paul, I, uh, that's, that's something I feel like that I can do. I'm going to get on that, and that makes tons of sense. You know, I'm motivated, and I'm going to get out here and go suffer more. I don't think so. <laughs> I think if that was it, it would be very discouraging. But Paul gives us a piece of good news that we read in those first verses before we started on this that puts this whole thing together. And it was in one very short phrase. Okay? So that's, we looked at the usefulness is actually in the suffering, and now we're looking at the third point, which is the power of the resurrection. Remember, all of this is application of these one verses. Remember, if you have your Bibles, look back at verse 8. And that the only piece of good news that Paul has given Timothy in a while is this one little phrase, and that is this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. It is because that little piece of information, that Christ is risen from the dead, that Paul says, I can now suffer all things 
And I don't worry about the usefulness as much as I did because the Word of God is not bound. Christ is risen from the dead. His agenda of redemption is here. It has come and it is unstoppable. And for that reason, I'm sold out and nothing else matters. I think the resurrection brings out two very important parts of the gospel that have to be held together. And the first one is in order to do this, Christ had to die. The gospel always starts with that point that Christ had to die. This is why I had us read this passage from Isaiah 53. Thanks, Stephen, for reading all that. This passage is a description of of when Jesus Christ came to earth, what His ministry and the usefulness of Him, what it looked like. I mean, look at these things. It says, He had no form or majesty that anyone would look at Him. No beauty. No one wanted Him around. No one desired Him. He was despised and rejected. Men hid their faces from Him. They esteemed Him not. He was oppressed and He afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was like a sheep before its shears is silent, and He opened not His mouth. And as for His generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living. See, Christ's ministry, it, when he came, it didn't start from a position of a blaze of glory. And that initially, this is a description of somebody who is invisible, who has no voice. No kind of worldly respect. But it is through the suffering that he came and endured that he was awarded everything every bit of glory that could be. It is through the suffering that he was allowed to have the final voice, which will be the last trumpet that sounds when the new creation comes again. It all came through his death and through his suffering. But what's the other side of it? What does the resurrection mean for us? It means much more than just a fact that Jesus is alive. Good, he didn't die. Our faith is not dead. But because Jesus is alive now, it means that the new creation has come and it is already here. It is certain he cannot go back through the grave. And those who belong to him by faith, that that is your destiny too. So the significance of this is that your usefulness no longer depends upon you. It doesn't depend on how smart you are. It doesn't depend on how loud your voice is. It doesn't even depend on like how strong you are and like you're just really good at enduring all kinds of hardships. That your usefulness and any success that you could have comes because Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. And if you belong to Him by faith, then you are a part of the new creation. Even now, And you are a part of the plan of redemption that he is working even now. It cannot be undone. This is what Paul, why Paul can say these things to Timothy. Because he knows that Christ has risen from the dead. So when Timothy is in a moment where he feels that he is silenced, he doesn't have a voice, that he can remember that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. No usefulness, nothing he can do can stop that point. But what does this mean for us? So this is good news, and the good news is this. So 
you might feel like you don't have a voice. You you might in your family, as a parent, at work maybe, culturally. You might feel like you have no voice and you might be anxious. You might be depressed. um, And you might, you know, spend most of your time moping around. You know, I don't know what that's like either. Jesus is still risen from the dead. Even though, you know, this is your attitude. And this is good news for us. Because we are people, especially in suffering, our attitudes go around wildly. However, Paul is giving Timothy this gospel for a reason. And it is not just so he has an intellectual knowledge of where the world is going and that he is part of a new creation and that his usefulness is tied to that. This is an invitation to lay hold of these promises by faith. To live as though Christ really is risen from the dead. To have hope. To embrace the calling. To embrace love for others. To embrace peace. To embrace um, learning and the whole ministry that we have in our discipleship and our time on earth. These promises are real and they're on offer for us. And this is good news. This is the good news that Timothy is called to and this is the good news that we all have before us is true. Um, it's Essentially, this is a hope that's worth living for. And it's not just something that is there to be believed and to make no difference in our lives at all. But this is something that was a real event that we have. If you want to be useful, if you feel silenced, remember that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I think we need to pray that we can ask God that he would help us um, in this difficult task that he has given us in his work. Let's pray together. Dear Father, now this news that you have given us, it is, it is good and wonderful news to our ears, but often when we are in real life, And we feel those voices going on around us and we feel like we don't matter and that we are silenced, that we tend to lose sight of it. So I pray for all of us here. I pray that you would send your spirit and you would work in our hearts and help us to believe that Jesus really is risen from the dead. I do pray that you would take care of us and that you would empower us on this journey. As always, we lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.